0: The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service, nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you, Brett. Uh, Thank you, Diane. And uh, here we are. Hello, everybody. I'm Villeen Shah, your facilitator for I Love Braille, which is sponsored by... East Bay Center for the Blind, and supported by the American Council of the Blind. I welcome you all on this new month, August 3, 2023. Well, friends, as you know that each Thursday, we have uh, some different type of activity. And the first Thursday of a month, We invite a guest speaker to speak on a specific aspect of Braille. We are so fortunate and blessed that Michael Hudson, the director of Louis Braille Museum at American Printing House for the Blind, we call it APH, is with us today. Michael has. uh, Uh, certainly a good degree. I think Master Michael, I forgot, uh, but you can correct me. And uh, he is going to tell us about the Braille Museum that the American Printing House for the Blind has in Louisville, Kentucky. It's a place to visit for most of us, all of us who love Braille. And any time when you are able to make it, Do not miss it. Our friend Michael Hudson is there. You can tell you're a participant, a member of Isle of Braille, and he will recognize you immediately. Schedule an appointment, and you will see some wonderful things. The title of Michael's presentation today is Dot Experience at American Printing House for the Blind. By the way, Michael, uh, we have here with us people from different parts of the United States, as well as Canada, but also from Brazil and uh, South Africa, Nigeria, and Macedonia in Europe, and some more people from other countries may join us. So, we are so blessed, and, and people are anxious to hear you so i will stop myself and i will hand over this mic to michael hudson thank you again michael for being with us it's our uh
2: privilege to have you
1: well thank you very much
2: valine um and i'm really uh, glad to be with everybody today uh we have a lot of big things going on in the museum uh And so I'm eager to 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 talk to you. But this is not really going to be a formal presentation. I'm just going to kind of tell you. I'm going to give you a little background and tell you tell you what's going on, and then I'll be glad to answer questions at that point. Um, So, um, as Valine said, my name is Mike Hudson. I'm the director of the museum here at the American Printing House for the Blind. Uh, Just for anybody who doesn't know, the the Printing House was founded in 1858, and uh, today is the largest maker of Educational and daily living aids for people that are blind or low vision in the world. And uh, last year, I think we did about 12 million pages of Braille, about uh, 8 million pages of large type. Uh, We recorded countless talking books for the National Library Service in our recording studio, and we made, designed, and manufactured hundreds and hundreds of different educational and daily living aids that we sell out of our catalog. And- the printing house, uh, when it when it initially was created in the 1850s, was just making a few uh editions of a few titles every year in raised letters, the same letters that sighted people read with their eyes. Only these were designed, they were embossed off the paper. And in 1879, Congress passed a law called the Act to Promote the Education of the Blind. And um The act basically created this fund that we call the federal quota fund. And so kids who are in uh, uh, preschool through uh, uh, high school draw on that fund to have their books transcribed and embossed in Braille or their talking calculator or their refreshable Braille display or their tactile globe, tactile maps. all kinds of preschool and multiple uh, kids with multiple disabilities. It's, we, we serve a wide swath of, of people in the, in the, in the community. And, and in the last, I guess, 10 or 15 years, APH has really gotten heavily into becoming a, a major information clearinghouse for uh, blindness. Uh, uh, the American Foundation for the Blind had these uh, Connect Center sites, uh, family connect and, and that sort of thing. And, and we took those websites over from, from AFB. And, and so today uh, the printing house is also uh, a huge service provider. Uh, we do a lot of teacher training. We do, we, we just do a lot of things. Uh, we do so much that I, I lose track of everything that we're working on at any one point. And, and so because APH is so uh, we've been in the field for so long, um, in, the, in 1994, we opened a museum. And that museum, uh, the Museum of the American Printing House of the Blind, uh, you know, kind of you could come to, to Louisville to the factory, you could go on a factory tour and then come up to the museum and kind of walk through the entire history of education and rehabilitation for people who are blind or low of vision. And uh, the, the museum was full, just filled with, really significant and interesting things if you were interested in the history of blindness and what happened is is that once the museum got founded initially a lot of the things that were on display we had borrowed from other institutions and from individuals and and so we, as we built this museum and people came to the museum and they really loved what was going on, and we were really working hard on making sure that the museum was as accessible as possible, you know, we the, the display cases, a lot of them opened up and you could touch the things that were on display, and if it, if it was too rare to be touched, then... We really worked hard on making good reproductions, you know, reproductions of all the early books, the very first books made for blind readers. And people started to trust us with the story. And so other institutions started transferring their archives to us. Uh, And so we got this huge uh, orientation and mobility archive from um, AER. We got... um, the Thomas Carroll papers from the Catholic Guild in Boston, and Father Carroll was just this very interesting guy who who had a lot to do with uh, uh, rehabilitation of uh, blinded soldiers after World War II, and um, we we got uh, uh, the Braille Authority of North America gave us their archives, so we really started to kind of become kind of this trusted partner to many of the blindness agencies in the United States. And then in 2020, the American Foundation for the Blind started looking around for somebody to partner with on their Helen Keller archive. So uh, as you guys know, Helen Keller worked for a uh, The American Foundation for the Blind, from uh, like 1923 until her death in 1968, traveled all over the world, raised millions of dollars for the American Foundation for the Blind. And when she died in 1968 and then earlier in 1936, when her teacher, Ann Sullivan, died, both of them gave all of their possessions to AFB. So AFB had this, this just amazing archive and they had started to shift their focus towards just focusing on advocacy. They were trying to figure out who they were going to be in the 21st century. And, and Helen and Annie had always stated that they wanted, their, they wanted their collections to be there to be maybe some kind of a modest museum built that their collection could go into. And AFB was looking for a partner. To work on that and so they had reached out to the smithsonian institution they had reached out to uh, radcliffe college where helen graduated in 1904 they had reached out to the new york historical society this big powerful old line historical society they wanted a partner but in the end they decided to partner with the american printing house for the blind and so my my assistant justin gardner and i we went up there uh in in january and early february of 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 2020 just before the uh pandemic the the COVID pandemic really burst out uh, uh it seems and we packed everything up it was in a cold storage warehouse up there packed everything up onto 23 pallets loaded it into the back of two tractor trailers and it all came back to the American Printing House of the Blind. And so what had happened is, you know, we'd had this museum. It had been open since 20, 20, 1999, 1995. And we just didn't have room for all of these new stories that we needed to tell. Um, we had this amazing Helen Keller collection that, you know, uh, if, if anybody knows a blind historical figure, it's they know Helen Keller, Right and so our board and our executive committee started brainstorming what can, what should we do what can we do uh you know we had some modest ideas you know one of which was just tear out a small part of the current museum exhibit and put in a, a modest little helen keller exhibit or maybe we could uh move a department or two they were thinking about maybe moving finance out of their 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 area and we could expand the museum or the third idea which was what we we called the evil plan because for years and years we weren't able to talk to about it to anybody was to actually do a major major renovation project on the american printing house for the blind and um And build a new building, uh, an an annex, a major annex on the front of the building that would be the new museum. And in truth, our building had really gotten old and tired. Um, You know, we have uh, the printing house opened in 1858. It was in the basement next door at the Kentucky School for the Blind. And we didn't move build our first building on our current property, which is right next door to, to KSB. We didn't build our first building until 1883, and then we just started building buildings every now and then every, as we expanded, as we grew and grew and grew. And so today there are 14 different structures here, all linked together. Um, you never have to go outside to go into any of these buildings, but they had just gotten tired. Our 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 doors and windows were tired, our bathrooms and plumbing were tired, our electrical systems were tired. Uh, All of our conference rooms, you know, dated back to the 1970s, and they just felt old. And so our our board and our leadership decided they were going to use this whole opportunity to build a new museum to and they were going to use that opportunity to to update all the infrastructure throughout the building. So, uh Shah uh you, you talked about coming and visiting us. Right now you can't because on June 3rd, uh we closed the museum and tore every all the exhibits apart and put everything into storage and oh. just yes, and just this <laughs> week in fact I'm sending the last loaned objects back. It's about 23 things that we borrowed from the Perkins School for the Blind in in Watertown, Massachusetts. So we're sending those back. And so everything's in storage. And the entire front of the building, we're going to peel all of the brick facade off the front of the building. And right now they're building offices for everybody that works in the front of the building, including my staff. And we're all going to move back into these little cubicle farms that, uh, we've got built back in the, in, 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 in areas that, you know, nine months ago were being used to warehouse educational aids and, and store, uh, braille books. Now they've been repurposed for offices. We're going to move back there and that's phase one of this construction project. Phase two is to, is to build this new building out in front. Um, and, uh, and install new totally new exhibits and as part of this whole process you know we're we're kind of studying up on you know branding right branding and marketing and communications because we really think that this new helen keller braille Um, blindness experience focus of the new museum is really going to make us a major tourist attraction here in Louisville. And if you've never been to Louisville, Louisville is home to a lot of really interesting tourist attractions, okay? Probably number one is Churchill Downs, right? The home of the Kentucky Derby, right? If you've never been to the Kentucky Derby, you need to put that on your bucket list. But uh Churchill Downs has a great tour and a museum. We've got the Muhammad Ali Museum. Muhammad Ali, the greatest boxing champion in the world, the most the best known American in the world. Muhammad Ali, he was from Louisville and his his he has a museum here. Um we have also got um you know, a, a, a great science museum, a great art museum. Uh, we have the uh, the uh, Louisville Slugger is here in Louisville, and the Louisville Slugger factory is open. You can go on a factory tour. We have the whole bourbon experience. You know, we have all these bourbon distilleries here in town that now are open for tours, and you can go through and see how bourbon is made. And so, it, Louisville's you know it's it's an eclectic crossroads city already. I mean, that's why the Printing House is here because the road and rail network and the river network were so great in the mid 19th century. So, so Louisville is a great town, a great tourism town. So we we think this is going to be a big deal that lots of people are going to want to come to the museum. So we, so our branding people said, you know, we need a better name than the museum of the American printing house for the blind. It's long, it's clunky. It doesn't just trip off your, off your tongue, and so they did a lot of research. They, uh, it was a really hard job, actually, you know, uh, coming up with a new name. Uh, and 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 so the name that we're, uh, when the new facility opens up, it's going to be the the Dot Experience at APH. Um, it's going to be about a lot more than Braille, but we see Braille and literacy uh, as central, not only to the history of the Printing House, but central to every human beings experience literacy and access to information is just critical to all of our success and so uh for blind people literacy is obtained in lots of ways and like there's lots of strategies right there's obviously there's braille and tactile graphics there's large print there's magnification there's audio. There's you know optical character recognition and scanning and um, and recording. All those are important. And uh, you know everybody has their uh, their literacy strategy. And most people use multiple literacy strategies on a daily basis, depending on you know what works best for them. But but at the heart of our history, it's tactile. And at the heart of our history, it's it's the work of of Louis Braille and the Braille dot. So the dot experience seemed like a perfect name. So what I want to do is just kind of tell you a little bit about what the new museum is going to be like. We are in the midst of designing it and we expect the DOT experience to open in the summer of 2025 if all goes well. So we've got a really busy two years in front of us. Uh both the demolition of the current structures and the construction of the new building and then all of the you know wiring and plumbing and uh decorative painting and finishes and surfaces and and what's called affordances right which is about accessibility because although our old museum was accessible by any other museum's standards you know it had high contrast uh, large print labels it had braille labels it had audio labels it had, you know, lots of artifacts were out where you could be, where you could touch them. And we had reproductions of artifacts. Still, if you, and I mean, I, I, I actually, all of you think to yourself, you know, we, we did a lot of focus grouping with, with, with people. You know, tell us about a museum that you've been in that you loved. And tell us about, you know, times you went to museums that your experience was bad. And for people that are blind or low vision, most of their experiences were bad. Very few people could actually come up with good experiences. And if it was a good experience, a lot of times it had almost nothing to do with anything the museum had done to prepare you for it. It was really more just because of who you were there with. And so we realized that museums, even though so many Times, you know, museums have worked really hard to make their things accessible. You know, like we went to Crystal Bridges, uh, which is a really nice art museum in Bentonville, Arkansas, and they had a really wonderful art exhibit, and they had done a lot of work to make this exhibit accessible. So we went up there with our with about uh, about four or five Saudi people and about four or five people that were blind or low vision. And the museum educator came out and in this exhibit that probably had, I don't know, a hundred pieces of art, she showed us five, five of the pieces of art that they had made accessible. And each one of them, they had used a different accessibility strategy, you know, like sometimes it was a, it was a sculpture that they had 3D scanned and then there was a small version of the sculpture that you could touch uh, sometimes it was a painting where literally they had done this amazing soft fabric, three-dimensional collage of the painting that allowed you to touch it. And then I think another one was just a raised line drawing of an outline of a, of a pencil drawing. But the point was, is that of those hundred artifacts in that exhibit, only five were accessible and nobody could independently access those those accessible versions of the art some other person this museum educator had to drag them out on a cart and show them to you so is that really accessible if somebody else chooses which art you look at and after they've chosen which art you look at of the hundred pieces you get to look at only five and maybe you're not interested in those five but you wanted other five other things so we we started to realize that almost every accessibility effort that had been made had failed. Despite people really working hard, putting a lot of money into it and really trying really hard, they still hadn't made it very accessible. So we wanted to turn that thinking on its head. Okay. Because really what happens in museums is so a curator We're going to tell a story, okay? Say it's the history of the bicycle. So they go and do a bunch of research and they read a bunch of books and they talk and they, they look at a lot of archival materials about, you know, who invented bicycles and how the bicycle that we use today uh, is formed. Okay. I'm making all this up off the top of my head, by the way. And so then they pick out the artifacts and the photographs that are going to go in there. And then, Almost at the very end, they get it designed and built, and, and then they probably bring in a museum educator to figure out some interactives for, the, for kids, right? Ways that you can, you know, add some sensory stuff to it. And then two weeks after the exhibit opens or a month after it opens, they go, you know, maybe we could, maybe we should, what could we do to make this accessible, Right. In other words, accessibility for people with disabilities, or 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 people who have mobility challenges, or people who are deaf or hard of hearing, or 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 people who are dyslexic, or people who uh, kids who are uh, uh, on the um, autism spectrum. All of that gets thought about after the exhibit even opens. So, so for the DOT experience, we're coming out with a totally different approach, right? We are thinking about accessibility as the number one criteria, the first criteria. Before we pick the objects, before we pick the pictures, we before we put the audio visuals in, before we do the floor plan or think about wayfinding, the first thing we are thinking about is accessibility. So if we can't, make it accessible. We are not going to put it on exhibit in this exhibit, in this museum. Um, so you're really thinking long and hard about that from the very beginning so that when you walk into the museum, you feel welcome. You feel like we want you there. We are ready for you. We have thought about you in particular, and we want you to have a great experience. Um, And, and we hope, you know, now, now, is this going to be easy? And the answer is no, it's not going to be easy. So we want to, we want to continue to be humble. Okay. About, you know, saying that we're going to create the most accessible museum in the world, right? So our marketing people are already toting this out. We're going to make the most successful museum in the world. I don't say that. Because I I I know that a lot of really smart people have tried this before, and have worked on making things accessible, and then they you know it turns out they they didn't. So I, we're going to be try to be humble, but from the beginning, from the time you walk into our lobby uh, to the time you get up to the mu- to the museum uh, to the dot experience, we want you to feel welcome, and we want to to be clear about these are our strategies for making it accessible. And we wanna make it as easy as possible for you to navigate the space, to find what you're interested in, you know, because when people go to museums, I'm talking about just, you know, Joe Schmo, they walk into a museum and they look around, right? They scan it with their vision, right? And uh, on their right is an old car. And dead in front of them is a big blue whale. And on their left is a mummy, okay? And they're interested in cars. They love cars. So what do they go look at? They go look at the car, right? And so that's the, that's the kind of thing we want to make sure that we allow you to do. Uh, if you're interested in this part of the museum, we want you to be able to go there and enjoy that part. And if you don't want to see anything else, then that's fine. And then you're able to leave. But we want to create that kind of choice, that kind of 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 navigable make it navigable so you can go see the things you want you can dive down into it if you want to read every label if you you know you're really into those cars we want you to you know be able to learn everything we know about it and if you really just want to walk over there and go okay that's a model t ford from 1922 that's great now i'm going to go look at the whale you know if you want to know about how whales you know migrate and and travel around the world that's great but if you really just want to say, oh that's a blue whale that's great that's so we want so all of those things are information strategies so the first thing that we did was well one of the first things we did was we hired a accessibility expert uh, a, a firm uh that ex uh, that and what they did was they wrote a standards document accessibility and inclusion standards document um that looked at uh, all parts of the, our operation as far as the dot experience was concerned and came up with our, with, with defining what our standards were, because, you know, you work a lot with vendors, contractors, uh, exhibit designers, uh, you know, architects and and a lot of these people have no experience working with people with disabilities, none. So We've got to be very clear from the very beginning of what our standards are, what, we, what our expectations are, what are our minimum standards. And, you know, you know, we just celebrated what the auth anniversary of the passage of ADA. Right. Americans with Disabilities Act. But really, the American ADA is just a checklist of legal requirements. Right. But that's not really usability. Uh, we want to go way beyond what's just in the ADA and what's just legally expected. Uh, we're not just trying to check off a list. A lot of times when people you know, say, oh, let's make it accessible. Really, they just want you to give them a checklist. So they can say, okay, we did all these things. They don't really want to actually delve into, is this actually effective? Is it actually working? And so from the very beginning, we needed a standards document. So that we, everyone was clear about what our expectations were of how it had to work, how it had to be usable, um, and, and then start getting all of those technical requirements for the various communication strategies for Braille, for large print, uh, for contrast, uh, for uh, floor plan as far as, you know, what affordances, and that's the magic word if you haven't heard affordances, I love that word. That's my new vocabulary word. But, you know, what, you know, are there going to be tactile clues in the flooring that will help orient you to where you are and whether or not you're close to something that, uh, you know, you might want to interact with? Um, and, And so we started working with our designers with the standards document and they start coming back with drawings for the new thing. And immediately we started noticing that side, our sighted people who were on our review committees and our blind and low vision people who were on our review committees were reacting to the early designs in two different ways, right? The sighted people were going, oh, wow, that looks great. Oh, wow, that's awesome. That's the first thing you're going to see when you walk into the lobby. That's amazing. And uh, all the uh, blind and low vision people were starting to notice, hey, I won't even know that thing's there, and most of it is over my head, and I'll never interact with it at all. And so the 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 uh, you know the design firm here in Louisville that we're using it's a company called Solid Light. We love working with them; they're really great. But we're bringing them along too as we go. So one of the famous installations that Solid Light is, is known that? for. Oh. Uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, installations that they're famous for here in Louisville is at uh, the Evan Williams uh, Distillery uh, Tour, uh, and they designed this big, huge, immense bottle of bourbon that's gurgling out bourbon into a huge glass filled with ice, right? I mean, I'm, when I say huge, I'm saying this is bigger than a human being, you know, bigger than an elephant, and it's really cool looking, right? It's actually cool sounding, too, but it's cool, cool looking. So uh for their for the thing they had come up with this thing called uh rising spirit and it was kind of this tornado like a whirl, spiral whirl of images and artifacts from the history of blindness, uh, education, rehabilitation that would swirl from a small, like the base of a tornado up to a huge thing overhead and would go through the ceiling into the second floor of the museum. And it would be up there too. Right. And most, almost all of it was out of reach. And so, you know, you know everybody who was cited looked at it and went, "Oh, wow, that's awesome. everybody who was who was minor low vision looked at it, read the description and went, blah, right so 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 one of our parts of our standards document was this thing called shared joy, okay, Shared joy, meaning that everybody who comes in gets that wow moment. At wherever they're at. Everybody gets it, not just people who can see. And so anything like that had to go, right? So (laughs) they spent a lot of time and money designing this uh, 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 rising spirit. Rising spirit got blown away, right? So, um, so, so I'm going to talk a little bit about, about where we're at on our design. Um, so, we, um, uh, the, the museum, basically when you come into the museum, it's, it's going to be a, a large AV, uh, production where you are going to be welcomed into the space by people who are blind or low vision. So one of the things that we're recruiting right now is, uh, uh, part of our operation is working on what we call our cast. And our cast is all of these people, all of whom are living, um, who represent kind of the 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 spectrum, the wide variety of people who are blind or low vision. Um, You know, uh, it's not just going to be celebrities. It's not just going to be people who are pretty and good looking. It's not just going to be young people. uh, It's not just going to be old people. It's going to be you know uh, you know people who are unemployed people who are, who are, who are doing interesting work, people who are doing mundane work, um, just a wide variety of people. And so these, this initial AV thing is going to be where you're welcomed into the museum and these people are going to welcome all of our visitors, 93% of which, by the way, have no connection with blindness, do not know anybody that's blind. They're, they're just tourists off the street, you know, so a huge amount of our, of our visitors, they don't know anything about blindness. And so uh you know this this museum is an opportunity to both welcome people who know nothing about blindness and teach them about blindness but also it's an opportunity for blind or low vision people to come celebrate all of the accomplishments that blind and low vision people have have you know how they've contributed to their own story so you'll be welcomed in then you'll go into what we call um uh uh blindness and society is kind of the first section of main section of the museum. And, and this is going to be dominated by those cast members. And so each one of these cast members is going to welcome you is going to talk about their life is going to be, is talk about, you know, their educational background and, and, uh, we're going to show some examples of the things they use in their daily lives to do the things they do. Right. Um, and, uh, and so that cast, we're still working on developing that cast, so I can't share anything of that with you, but I'm really excited about this section because we've never really done this this part of, of talking about blindness in our museum before. You know, we've always been looking at kind of the history of literacy and learning and rehabilitation and dog guides and orientation of mobility and all that, the history, but never talked about introduced, you know, uh, tried to really, you know, we've always want, we want to change attitudes about blindness, but we've, we haven't done it in a first person voice, right? So throughout the museum now, it's all first person. It's, it's people telling you about the things they use, the things they used past tense, um, and telling their own story. So once you get out of, uh, blindness and society, you head into the real Helen Keller. Okay, so why do we call it the real Helen Keller? Because for most people who know anything about the Helen Keller story, she is frozen as a little girl with her hand under the water pump. Right. I mean, there are newspaper stories when Helen was in her 40s and 50s going to some Midwestern city. I think the one I'm remembering is Kansas City. And there's a little newspaper article announcing that she's coming to talk to some women's group. And it says, famous blind girl visits city. (laughs) She's 50 years old. And they're still thinking of her as a girl, right? Well, Helen was a lot more than a girl. I mean, she is one of the most interesting women of the late 19th and early 20th century in the world. And she is an amazing lady who uh, is a labor activist is a women's rights activist, is a civil rights activist, is a disability rights activist, and travels all over the world um, changing people's attitudes about uh, both blindness and deafness. And so this exhibit that we're putting together is going to explore Helen Wartz and all. And so, you know, we are going to de-sanctify Helen Keller as as much as we can, and turn her into a real person. And again, because Helen wrote, I think she wrote like 13 books, uh, you know, just one of the best-selling authors of the 20th century is Helen Keller. And so, um, because she wrote so many books, and a lot of them were written in first person, you know, we've got her telling her own story. And so, this exhibit will be Helen telling you her her own story, and we're going to share as a lot of the artifacts from uh, from her collection um, are going to be uh, out where you can you can experience them. Um, and then after that, then we come into uh, aph and innovation, and uh, this is going to start with Louis Braille and the earliest books, uh, including the eighteen twenty nine uh, the Préséde that's Louis first, uh, that's the first publication of the Braille Code in 1829, you know, the first raised letter books, um, the competing codes, the War of the Dots, all that will be in there, um, and then the rest of the exhibit is going to look at the way that technology and innovation have driven the last 150 years of uh, of uh, achievement for people who are blind or low vision. We're going to look at uh, we're going to look at audio, we're going to look at refreshable Braille displays, we're going to look at printing, obviously we're the American Printing House of the Blind, so we're going to be looking at embossing technology and the way we've moved from using, you know, these big huge printing presses adapted to emboss to the modern digital types of presses. Uh, we're going to look at, you know, kind of the most cutting edge things that are going on. I don't know if you've heard of the Monarch, but the Monarch is very close to... Uh, uh going into production and it's going to be our full page refreshable braille display which is both a graphics and a braille delivery device so you can use it to look at tactile graphics and braille i mean the the i'm not saying that it's going to replace you know all of the braille textbooks in a kid's locker but um, it has that pop potential um we're really excited about it um and so you know you're, you're going to be able to see the the latest things that are going on at APH um, and, and, um, and then, and then we're going to do a little dreaming also at the end of that section about what, what, um, what's, what are the, what are the parts, what are the things out there that the, the, the mountains that are still yet to be, uh, uh conquered, um, um, and, and, and also invite all of our guests to kind of join us all on this quest to make the world a more accessible place, right? So, most people's conception of blindness is all based on, you know, the medical model of disability where it is the person who's broken, right? Because you cannot see you are broken and either we can fix you, you know, a surgeon can operate on you or we can give you some drugs and fix you or you're just broken. Right. But, you know, we believe more in the social model of disability, which is that it, It's not that people are broken; it's that society is is broken, and so we at the you know kind of you know one of the things we want as many of our visitors as possible to leave the exhibit is this idea that if we change our attitudes, if we change societal attitudes, um, then much of the things that we think of as disability just disappear. Not the inconveniences, okay? <laughs> the inconvenience of, you know, not being able to drive yourself someplace or the inconvenience of, you know, needing, uh, a you know, a, a, an accessible version of a book as opposed to just being able to pick up the print book that everybody's using. It's still inconvenient. But 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 the fact that most people, um, uh, and when I say most people, I mean, you know, like just broader society, uh, you know, it's their attitudes towards disability that make a lot of these limitations, these physical limitations, they make them, uh more disabling than they need to be Um, uh, and they limit people. And so we want to change those attitudes. And so part of this last section is designed to, is going to be designed to change people's attitudes about disability. And instead of going, you know, pity, feeling feelings of pity towards people with disabilities, it's, it's instead saying, how can I personally make our world a better place, a more accessible place, a more inclusive place. Right. And, Yeah. And so that's our Uh dream. really. Uh,
1: Great. Yeah. That's it. Keep it up. Yeah.
2: No. Yeah. So So that's it. That's really essentially what we're, what we're aiming at. And um, I'll be glad Uh at this point to answer any questions, anybody.
1: Yeah. Terrific. Thank you so much, Michelle. That's what my computer says. (laughs) Michelle. I'll tell my
2: mom that you said that and get you in trouble.
1: (laughs) Okay. All right. So uh, very briefly, uh, somewhere I read that the museum is a visual expression of history. But to make a museum tactile and vocal expression of history is quite a challenge, and I'm pretty sure at APH under the leadership of Michael Hudson, they are doing it, which is commendable. Uh, One brief thing I would like to tell about Helen Keller before we invite your questions: Uh, I happened to read her entire biography and uh, watch a movie on her, and it said that uh, Helen Keller traveled. 200,000 miles. Yes. Despite yes. Uh, limited aviation available at that time and despite yes. two world wars through which she lived, during which she was not able to go to other countries. Yes. This is just commendable.
2: Yes, and, she was uh, a trooper. Yeah. A trooper is the word you She, you're she for. was. She was. Yeah.
1: And yeah. Uh, she. During her time, there were three kinds of braille running around, and she learned all three different braille codes. And she also learned not only English, which was her first language, but also learned French and Latin. Yeah.
2: So for and, a person, and German. And German.
1: And German. German yeah. Mm-hmm. For a person who is visually uh, challenged, mm-hmm. hearing challenged, and speech challenged, mm-hmm. could do so mm-hmm. much. That's an Mm -hmm. inspiration for everybody. And such a museum itself is an inspiration, not only for the people who are broke, whether disabled or not, but also for the broken society, as Michael said. So I wouldn't be lecturing so much now, You are most welcome (laughs) to raise your hands. Uh, We generally have this session for one hour. But if Michael has time and people have more questions, uh, we may extend it to an hour and uh, 10 minutes. All right. So our friend Diane, who is the host, who is the first person to raise a hand? Okay, Nora. All right, Nora, iPad. Nora. Hi.
3: Good afternoon. Pleased to meet you, Michael. Sorry, um <clears throat> um, sorry, um when it comes to the museum, you know also gonna put uh when it comes to tactile things, like when it comes to painting and also museum floors, like for example in not painting but for carpeting under I was thinking like carpeting under the display case and then tile around yes. other parts.
2: Yes. And i think I- great <laughs> yeah yeah that's a great uh point nora about um so we're going to be using the flooring it's just going to be one part of the strategy to let you know where you're at and and what might be around you whether you know one one type of flooring might be okay i'm in a corridor right yeah. another type of flooring might be something is around me that i want to explore and 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 so how do we make the objects because you know museums are about objects mm-hmm. right so one of the one of the more magnificent things that's in the Helen Keller archive is her desk from her house in uh, in Arcan Ridge and so many times it's been on exhibit here for the last four or five years and I will come out and somebody will be leaning with their hand just delicately touching that that desk crying you know, because mm. her life meant so much to them, right? Yeah. And we all have people like that. I mean, historical figures that have written something that has touched us. So how do we, you know, obviously if you let everybody touch everything, it's going to be, you know, that's, that's not great, but we've yeah. got to allow lots of touching, right? So mm-hmm. we're going to have many strategies. One is we're doing this thing where you, scan a three-dimensional object. A, an example of that would be this boomerang that these these aboriginal kids in Australia sent to Helen in like 1951. Mm-hmm. And so you scan this thing and then you can print it on a 3D printer. Um, and so while you might not touch the original thing, you can touch something that's exactly the same size and exactly the same shape. In the case of the desk... It has a glass top on it, original to it. And so we are going to set the desk up with all of the original things that we have photographs of Helen sitting working at her desk. And a lot of the things that are in the photograph are in there. We're going to set all that up, but you can still touch that glass and 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 be touching the real thing without harming the desk at all. Right. right. And then yeah, and then in the case of like you you're talking about a a portrait. So we have this wonderful portrait of uh of Helen as a little girl uh that was painted when she was like 12 years old. And you know, so we're going to have to do several things there. One would be a raised line outline so that you could study that and see the composition of the painting, right? Mm-hmm. But then we need to get some fabrics that would be similar to the fabric she's wearing, her clothes, so that you could mm-hmm. feel those fabrics and uh, and get a sense of the clothes. And then we need a description of the artwork, right? So that you mm-hmm. you get an overall picture of it. So you're you you're several different things. Now, what have we done there, right? With that artwork, we've we we let you 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 understand the way that artist composed it, the way he he aimed her body. Uh, you you get a sense of how you know people sighted people who are looking at that painting get those texture things and those color things from vision, but we can do it with small fabric samples so that you get a sense of the texture, and then you get a, 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 a overall description and and you know when other people come in people who are sighted that painting is going to come to life to them for them in ways that would never have happened otherwise because when you make things more accessible for one group. You improve the whole experience for everybody. Everybody gets a better experience. So, oh, n- yeah. you're right, Nora. Thank you. Right.
4: Yeah. Okay. I'm,
2: <laughs> I'm sorry.
3: I never think Like, people, all the people wear gloves so that they can, we often wear gloves so that they were not.
2: Yes. <clears throat> no gloves. No gloves, yeah, Nora. Yeah.
3: yeah no gloves.
2: We're not going <laughs> to do gloves. No, okay. Yeah, we're not going to yeah. do gloves. If you can't really? touch it with your hands, what we're going to do is we're going to wax everything with a microcrystalline wax.
4: Ah, and, yeah.
2: and, and the reason that they don't want you, to, you touching with gloves is because you have oils on your hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you let you know, a thousand people touch things, it would stain it. So we're going Ooh. to coat things with a microcrystalline wax and mm-hmm. we're just going to keep renewing that wax.
1: Oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah, that that is just wonderful because gloves limit our tactile ability. They do,
2: even even. I mean, like, and and <laughs> yes. then some people like cotton gloves are really limit your mm-hmm. your touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then a lot of the a lot of the latex gloves actually people have allergies to them. You know. Yes. So, okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, we have many more hands up, so I would yes, request the do. participants to be brief in your question.
2: With the next, your one, problem, right? Valine, maybe is that your answers are not being brief. <laughs> um no, no, no. I don't know
5: how to raise hands. How do you do that?
1: Okay, now who is this?
5: I am Diane from Ohio. I don't know how to raise hands in Zoom.
1: Okay, are you okay. on the are you All on right. the computer?
5: Yes, I am.
3: Okay, uh-huh. it would it if it's a Windows computer it would it be is. um it would o- Alt-Y. be Alt Y alt alt Y to
1: raise hand, yes. yes. Okay, thank okay. you. Yeah. Okay. okay. So we, um, we now we now have you on our list, but uh, you can still do Alt Y, and we go to the next person, which I think Mary. Okay. Yes. Next we have Carla. Hi Carla. here. Hi,
6: this is Carla. Okay. Hi, Carla. Hi, yeah. how you doing? Can you be hear me?
1: good. Let's see.
6: Okay. Yeah. Please my, be brief. If, I'm sorry. You and no, I go, go way back. Uh, my yeah. question is. Um, is there going to be any, um, you know, with the talking exhibits and the histories and things like that, is there going to be any attempt of porting some of the historical um things from the old museum as far as the descriptions and also is there going to be an online presence where if you don't get to listen to all the exhibits and things like that this has been something i've been talking to you about for ages but is there going to be an online place on the museum that you can go and listen to audio exhibits and audio things a lot of museums are doing that
2: short answer We are talking about
1: having a virtual tour
2: yeah short answer yes (laughs) okay Yes. Because here's the thing, uh, a lot of times you don't have time to, to see everything, right? So yes, yes. Now, will that be in place on opening day? I don't know. We're, we're actually starting on a new uh, website revision project probably in the first quarter of 2024, but whether or not that'll all be available on opening day, I don't know. But yeah, absolutely. And in fact, a lot of One other accessibility strategy is to put a lot of stuff online uh, um, so that if you don't have time to read all the labels while you're actually physically in the museum, later you can go back and, and revisit those things. That's a good, great point. Great point. Great point,
1: yes. All right, let's move to the next. Thank you, Carla. Okay, next we have Beth. Beth, yes. Hello, Beth. Uh-oh. And okay. Let's see. Yeah. Oh, there yeah. we go.
3: Yeah. Um, well, first, uh, like my question is like, mm-hmm. are you gonna have signs like the um this is straight ahead or like like if you have like you said the society and disability, are you gonna have a sign to each uh
2: section? Right. So 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 when you first come into the lobby, there will be a big Accessibility station, right? That will have a big Mm -hmm. three-dimensional map of the exhibit, okay? It It will give you the kind of gross orientation to what the main exhibits are, right? Then when you actually get to the front of each exhibit, there is a tactile map of just that section and what's in it with more detail. Right, mm-hmm. and then there will also be a uh, uh, application that you will be able to use on your cell phone uh, that will involve what a uh, 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 work of a company that uh, works with APH called Good Maps and Nearby Explorer. Okay, will enable you to scan uh, around you to see what exhibits, what you know, display cases are around you, um, and then the labels. Uh, will be um, in a number of formats as well. So, and and some of this, Beth, is experimental, right? We're going to have to right. get, like, and we're, we've got a whole committee of people that are going to be, we're going to be mocking things up over at Solid Light, which is located here in Louisville. They'll go over there and we'll test these things. But mm-hmm. But that first year that we're open, we're going to learn so much. About what right. works best, what works best for people, because we're going to be talking to people as you go through. You know, what did you like? What didn't you like? And 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 our goal is not to say, okay, on opening day, this is what we have, and it's always going to be this way. And if you don't like it, tough noogies, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're
1: going to learn yeah. from visitors. We're
2: we're going to learn from visitors yes. of of how they of how they use mm-hmm. these things. Yes. But I hope Beth that before that happens, we will also have done significant amount of testing with small right. groups. Yeah, so we'll and have was, at least.
3: Yeah. yeah, okay. I was also gonna make a comment, you know, about about you know touching things. I I did not have a good experience in museums because yeah, they tell little kids not to touch, and it kind of is yes. unfair. It's unfair to blind people.
2: Yes. Well, you know, Beth. I mean, I'm sorry, Valine, but I got to go on here. Go. <laughs> she's made a great point. Yeah. So okay. so yeah. you know we sure. encourage. Uh, we have historically encouraged a lot of touching in our museum and I'll get folks in and I'll notice how tentative they are because they're in a museum and they, you know, just, you know, people who are in museum and love history, they have the same amount of respect, whether they're blind or sighted for what it is The last thing you want to do is break something that's precious. Right. Right. So you're really tentative about the way you touch. So we're gonna there's gonna be some relearning of everybody is going to have some relearning when they get here to, you know, touching is okay. We welcome it. Please touch.
3: Yeah. yeah. And I and I'm sure that like the museums, they aren't flexible. Like little kids, you know, they don't know how. It, they will, will probably break oh, something. Oh,
2: man. Beth, I can tell you a lot of bad touching stories on the part of little kids.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> but that's okay. 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 Yeah. Let's go next. So okay. Let's
1: keep to the Thank next. Thank you, Beth. Thank you. Right. It sounds like Riss. Yes. Rick is correct. Yes. Rick is our long, long-time participant. Okay. Uh, and he yeah, must have heard him, Mark, Mr. Hudson, before
0: what a fantastic presentation yes and what a great thing y'all are doing i love the example of the elephantine size bourbon bottle that uh it's awesome to people but for us it's kind of okay uh, that, you know, of the tornado. Oh,
2: yeah yeah the tornado and, had uh, to go rick
0: yeah I, and mm-hmm. i'm glad I, I i love the way you illustrated that, you know, for sighted people, it's wonderful, but for us, it's just kind of, um, right. Um, <laughs> so you guys are, have a whole lot on the ball. Um, one thing I remember hearing about Helen Keller is that she managed to get her, uh, get herself on J. Edgar Hoover's suspect list. For she being did. Too, and uh, and too actually, she thought she was a commie.
2: yes, yes. Well, she was a socialist card carrying member of the socialist party. I mean, yes. there's no doubt. And she was... She was initially very complimentary of Soviet russia uh uh mm. and and so yeah, Jagger Hoover had his eye on her. in fact, you can go online and read the entire file. her entire file is on and so when Helen Keller would go speak, the f b i would send a agent over there, and they would be oh. taking notes. About what she was talking
0: about. Uh, oh, I bet oh, later yes. on she had second thoughts though.
2: Well, well, you know, she was working for AFB, which was a really conservative organization itself. And they didn't like, you know, they were always trying to get her to, to tone down, to tone down, mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, mm-hmm. they wanted to raise money from all these rich capitalists. Yeah. Right. Mm. So when you go to Henry Ford and ask him to give them, give you a million dollars, you can't, you know, also be, you know, uh, talking about how terrible capitalism
0: Oh, yeah, not him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you can't do both. <laughs> so, but I
2: think she was impressed by
1: the Soviet Union because of their concept of equality. Yes. You know, because right. the blind people are not treated way. equal, and that must have gotten her. Now, that's a different story that in the name of equality, they just, uh, what they did. To humanity is a different story. We will not go into that. Sorry. Well, Rick, let me right. let
2: me just give you one yeah. recommendation. Read yes. Out of the Dark by Helen Keller. Out of the dark. Read Out it. Out of the dark. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a book she writes early in her career when she's all full of, of Vim and vigor, Uh and uh mm-hmm. it's it's just an awesome book. But it gives you an idea
0: Especially of became a little distant. With Russia later yes, on, but exactly
2: yeah. because they found out actually what was going on, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. True.
1: great.
3: I have another quick question. I'm Go the other it. half, and girl. um, anyway, what I wondered about with the museum a lot of museums have headsets that kind of tell you what's going on and things like that. Is this just strictly touching, or is there going to be a headset? That you can wear that will maybe direct you. In yeah, some way to where you're there's this. To go. I
2: can't. I can't give it the best. Uh, I can't give you the best description of it. But it's going to be a, a unit that's going to be replicated throughout the museum, and you bring your own headphones and plug into it.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. okay.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. So we have reached the end Very of the big hour. Big. However, if Michael has time, we have three more. Uh, people asking questions. And Diane, you are third. You were trying to raise your hand. Uh, we can see your hand up now. So I'm more than willing to stay. All right. Perfect. Yeah. So We'll okay, continue uh, until 10-12 minutes. Okay. okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Alice. Alice is the next. Yeah. Yes, Alice is next.
6: Thank okay. you. And yes, what Alice. a wonderful opportunity to hear you speak again and bring <laughs> uh-huh. so much new information. I, I'm just so excited about all of what you've shared with us, but the two words that brought tears to my eyes, Mister Hudson, when you said "shared joy," yeah, what a lovely way to describe the experience that you all are trying to achieve. And, and I thank you for bringing us that that sentiment
2: today. Well, thank it you, Alice. That's that. So that's <laughs> it. Means a lot to us. That that yeah. that it that it that 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 um, um, has traction, you know, uh, you know, we, we, we definitely know that museums have to move in, they have to move. They cannot stay where they are right now. Um, and, uh, yeah. So yeah. Share joy. I'll give you Mm -hmm. another one. Um, uh, playful, uh sophistication <laughs> right uh-huh. so so you know museums kind of have this reputation for being kind of hoity toity right yes uh and, and that's the sophistication part but we want to be playfully sophisticated right we mm-hmm. don't want to take ourselves too seriously um
6: visited in we just
1: want to enjoy. to
2: enjoy the
6: relatively new Lincoln Museum uh, and I, I asked this because I think that's the way not to do a museum. I was very disappointed <laughs> when I visited there and I learned and enjoyed the experience so much more when I went to Lincoln's home and took the tour there with the uh, forest ranger.
2: Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. Uh,
6: and when I went to the tomb of, President Lincoln. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, those were so much more meaningful experiences. The new Lincoln Museum is almost like a zoo or a carnival atmosphere. I just really didn't care for it at all. Wow. It was all new and it filled with people.
2: Yeah. Just, you know, yeah. great
6: attendance. Yeah. it wasn't for me.
2: <laughs> well, I think also that's something we need to take into consideration that, Talk and in, and in, actually, I, I told this to my folks that were Talk blind or low in, your vision your and wanted to visit the old museum before we tore it out. You know, you had to consider about when you wanted to visit because, uh, like, for instance, I went to the uh, uh, aquarium in Chicago. And we got there at like 830 and there was nobody there. So we had the whole place to ourselves. But by one o'clock, it was filled with about 1.8 million children and and i love children okay don't get me wrong but i mean i couldn't see anything i couldn't hear anything
4: mm-hmm. you know
2: and, and so even in the best designed places even mm. if, if, if that you know I, I think sometimes you need to decide you need to find out when nobody is there and that's when you schedule your visit does that make sense
1: they done yes yeah yeah, yeah. and then we Another talked about shared joy
6: I I hope that besides the devices that we can listen to and go from point A to point B, I hope that there are still live people that will give tours. Those tour guides sometimes just add so much to the experience.
2: I agree. With, I agree with you. And we're thinking about all kinds of gallery talks, you know, you know, we, we will continue to do our factory tours. And by the way, if you've never gotten to come do a tour of the American Printing House for the Blind, our factory, it's going to be, it's, it's already great. It's going to be even better. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think you need, yes. you need there, there, there's something about having a small guided tour um, and we're going to continue to do those, but you want, you want, you know, those will be scheduled. So you know, you'll you'll know, be like any other you know you know museum where you go in and then we'll have certain programs scheduled and you'll have to you know probably figure out you know your yeah, your that's, your that's trip.
1: obvious you know yeah if yeah. you want a tour guide you need to schedule yeah yeah great okay we have Michael Moore and then Diane and uh, then we'll be uh, we will sum up all right Michael Moore
4: thank you great presentation Mike awesome thank, thank you and and uh, and also Rick you had mentioned something about you know there's uh, uh, sometimes you know what, what's what's awesome the sight of people is boring to blind people and i and there's all sorts of things that are really exciting to us blind people that are boring the sight of people okay here's a, here's a quick question about you you mentioned about having a cast you know uh in your yes. audiovisual visual yes. uh thing is that open to anyone in the united states or is it just it is in, it is in, uh, louisville it,
2: no 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 we're we're i mean we're way down that rabbit hole though i, I will tell you mike uh uh, like, I mean, I'm that's I'm mean, that's not my baby. That's not my ch- in charge. But I mean, they're they're in negotiations right now with with a, a smaller group. You know, we started out with about 50 names, um, and uh, and and then they, you know, they they been talking to folks and you know looking for you know really trying to get a diverse, wide, uh, you know, a wide swath. Not just, gotcha. you know, pretty people who, you know, are right. skateboarders, you know, right, right. Because almost
4: because you'd, you'd also mention about people who are unemployed. And matter of fact, there's one person in particular who is uh, who is a participant in this group uh, who I think would be a good who I'm thinking could possibly be a good uh, a, a good uh, person for you to. Uh, Maybe, you know, hear her story.
2: Yeah. Who is that? uh, Her uh,
4: her name is Dawn. Dawn Gilpuck, And she's like, she's only, she's 26.
2: Okay. And uh,
4: she she is a very, very resourceful young lady. And uh, she has actually given a talk, you know, at least a a time on this, on this, uh, on this call back whenever it was. I know she, I think she would have a lot to tell, even though she's yeah. unemployed, but she does, she still does, she does a a, a lot of volunteer work, you know, right yes. from her home and she does yes. a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think she might be a good, uh, a good person sure. to get in touch with. Well, to I would, I'm going to,
2: I'm going to guess, Michael, that you probably know 25 or 30 people. Uh, uh, who... I don't know about that. <laughs> 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 but, but what, what we would, what I would hope is that if, you, when you come to the museum, whatever, however we've picked our cast, that somebody on there, you know, you go, Oh yeah, I know somebody like that. Right. Because, yeah, and even yes, and also, right. here's,
4: an, here's another suggestion. I don't know if you thought of this. Okay. okay. If you were to get in touch, ta- if you were to, you know, if you probably haven't done it already, you, or you, you can also get in, uh, get in touch with other cons- uh, blindness organizations. Absolutely. You know, consumer, you, know yes. you know, like NFB, ACB, yes. Hadley, yes. stuff yes. like that. Yes. You can get in touch with a bunch of those. And then, they, you yes. know, there there's your pool right there.
2: Well, everybody that, We've I mean, we have a bunch of different uh, advisory committees, but every time you talk to somebody and you talk about this cast thing, every one of them knows twenty five or thirty people that that would be great. Okay. And I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't and, know uh, a blind person on my in my who's in my 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 group, my my team, my my social mm-hmm, group, mm-hmm. you know, my friends yeah. that that actually wouldn't be great. Because <laughs> I mean, the point we're trying to make here is that it's. Is that, is that actually, person A and person B and person C are all very alike? Correct. They may, one minute. They, uh, what, okay. Michael Moore oh, let's get Diane's you know, question. Let's get Diane's question in then. Oh, sorry. <coughs> yeah. Sorry.
1: Yeah. Uh, so you can add ILO Braille to the poll that Michael men, Moore mentioned, and yes. maybe you know we could be a good resource as well. You Bet
2: you bet. <laughs> all right. Let's, great. Let's let Diane go get her to question Diane in. now. Okay, I
5: don't have a question, but I do have experience and uh-huh. I do have information. Yes. Did you know that Helen Keller was in a silent movie? I
2: did. Yes. yes. Deliverance. In
5: it fifteen it, yes. or sixteen. Uh-huh. Um she was, you know, she was in a silent... Movie. I saw a documentary on the History Channel and they showed little clips, you know, I can not yeah, see, yeah. of course, but they showed yeah. little clips of it. She was in a silent movie and she spoke yes. French the easiest because of the language, mm-hmm. the way the vowels and the syllables. She spoke French the easiest. Yes. I had not English heard that, was Diane. Hard. Yes, yeah, English is hard. yeah, And she didn't have that the hard true. letters like in French. So she spoke French the easiest. And I have experiences when well, we went to Dearborn, Michigan, I was a kid. This was 60s and 70s. So everything was behind ropes. You couldn't touch anything. Kids yeah. couldn't touch anything. Yeah. So there were, yeah. they had signs don't touch, but I, I think. But my parents, I walked along with them. They described things and all that. And it's interesting, but it's boring because I couldn't touch the things. I couldn't see them. And, you know, we walked through all the museum, you know, the, all the museum pioneer stuff, and all I'm, you know, I forget everything, but, you know, I couldn't touch things. And I'm glad that this museum is, that's what it's gonna be, you know, real touch and, and and really participation and stuff. Cause I just had to walk through the aisles and listen to them describing the things to me and everything, and like I said, it was interesting, but I, it was boring cause I couldn't touch things. <sighs>
2: Yeah, that's that's great, Diane. And, and we're going to change that. Yes. We're going to change yes. that. So okay, Villeen,
1: you, Your parents for to a you. tour guide. Okay. Thank you, thank Diane.
2: You. And thank you, everybody.
1: Uh, thank you so much, Mike Hudson and our host, uh, Diane, and uh, streamer Brad, and, of course, everybody who participated. So do not forget to send me your feedback about today's presentation at SHAH, which is S-H-A-H at eastbaycenterfortheblind.org, right? Okay, so I'll appreciate that. And mention in your email that I can forward it to Michael Hudson. He would love to read that. And I just wanted to mention that Michael Hudson is a sighted person, but his presentation would tell you how much he feels and understands blindness. And that is indeed commendable with that. I conclude today's session. I wish you all a good week ahead and good weekend. And I'll see you next Thursday with your Braille-related questions. So you all take care. Bye now. Thank you. Thank you, everybody.